In November of 1974, a small group from SETI, S-E-T-I, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, used the radio dishes at Arecibo to send out a message to whoever might be listening. They sent about a quarter of a kilobyte, including structure of human DNA, map of our solar system, population of the Earth, you know, helpful facts like that. In January of 1993, Arecibo received a message back from an extraterrestrial unknown source. That's great. Intelligent life beyond this planet. Yes. There were two distinct communications. The first message turned out to be a superior catalyst for methane. We now have the potential to produce an infinite amount of energy from this clean burning fuel. This convinced us that we were dealing with a friendly intelligence. The second message turned out to be a new sequence of DNA with a rather friendly instructions on how to combine it with ours. Here's some technical data on the whole operation. You can get feedback on it from Dr. Baker here. Basically, the new combined DNA sequence was injected into 100 human ova. We got seven to divide. Four petered out. Two were stored in liquid nitrogen. And we allowed one to grow. That's his code name there, Cell. It's after two hours. One day. Two days. Oh, my God. This growth is amazing. It's a week. It's a girl. Yes, I... We decided to make it female so that it would be more docile <laughs> and controllable. More docile and controllable, huh? Well, I guess you guys don't get out much. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are here again with uh, a horror movie. We've we've done uh, at least one since Halloween. We we held off for a little bit. Uh, I know we did. Uh, you would have heard Elves, the our Christmas movie for Elves. But uh, we are back again here. Oh, and, and last week we did the stuff, I believe, if my order is correct. And so we are back here again with another horror movie. We are looking at Species. And I will dive into some information on that in a moment. First off, I will say, uh, I'll, I'll introduce our crew for this one, but I'll also say, if you haven't uh, liked and subscribed to our Twitter or our Facebook, it would be appreciated. Obviously, the podcast itself is pretty new, so we don't have a ton on there. So trying to, you know, grow that a bit. I, you know, I'll post all the episodes on there so you can kind of keep track as far as that goes. On Twitter, I'm occasionally posting, you know, other things. If we actually kind of, kind of like grow some kind of community, that could be fun. And I would probably begin to post more things that are unrelated to, you know, the actual film itself for the given week. So uh, look for that on Facebook and on Twitter. So Facebook is just Uncanny Cinema. If you look that up, you should see our logo. And then on Twitter, if you look up Uncanny Cinema, you'd probably find it. But the handle is also cinema or at Cinema Uncanny. So you can track it down that way. Look for that. And then also we had our first recommendation from a listener that was uh, came in last week. And we will be implementing that film sometime in the future weeks. I've already had a number of movies planned out, but uh, I'll work that one in in probably the next couple months. And so that's another thing that you can reach out to us if you have suggestions for movies that are 
not as well known, movies that you feel never really got the credit that they deserve, movies that are super bizarre. As we've said before, you know, obviously we focus on the obscure, the bizarre, the unloved, the overlooked, and the underappreciated. And so, you know, that's kind of our bread and butter. And so things like The Shining or Batman Begins or, you know, anything like that's just huge and enormous and incredibly popular, we unfortunately would never do just based on the folks of the podcast. But if you can kind of make a case for something of, you know, this movie was never financially successful, this movie was critically panned, this movie just nobody's ever heard about, that kind of stuff is fair game for sure. So if you have anything like that, be sure to reach out to us and I will take it into consideration for the future. So that is some of my introductory information for all that. We will get to our crew for this time. So we have a returning group and you guys were on the Fantastic Four episode from uh, a few episodes back from the recording of this one. So we have David joining us again. Hello. And we have Nate, who was also on a couple other episodes prior to the Fantastic Four. Hey, guys. And both these guys are pretty big fans of horror movies uh, and, like, bad movies. And David in particular, you're a pretty big horror junkie, you would say, right? Yeah. Uh, horror movies are my favorite genre. And you uh, always do it up pretty big for uh, Halloween in October, if I remember correctly. Yeah, last year I did the uh, 31 horror movies in 31 days, and this year I did uh, full uh, September and October, because quarantine, why not? Mm -hmm. And I watched, I think it ended up being about 63, 64 over the course of the two months. It's a lot of movies. Yeah, it is a lot of movies, but that's good though. It's like three work weeks worth of movies. (laughs) Nate, Nate approves, I think. Uh, I approve. I we at Uncanny Cinema approve of your life choices to be. Uh, get a little stamp of approval. I, uh, yeah, I've, I mean, I've also been blowing through all kinds of movies and series through, uh, through quarantine, not just for the podcast, but all kinds of other stuff. Okay, so uh, we will launch into Species. I've got just a little bit of background information on this one. So Species is a 1995 film. Uh, It actually was successful, unlike a lot of the ones that we have looked at. It was made for $35 million and made $113 million. It, at its core, is basically a movie where an alien species sends Earth plans to create one of itself or one of some kind of bioweapon that's left kind of up in the air, and the Earthmen, the Earth scientists, merge that creature with a human, uh, like, like a human genome, to create Syl, which uh, is a, you know, initially starts as a young girl, uh, played by a very young Michelle Williams, before she went on to much bigger roles. Um, Dawson's Creek. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen her in stuff. <laughs> I've seen her in stuff as an adult, but I never watched Dawson's Creek. But yeah, that makes sense. So she uh, is like a kid. She's her growth is accelerating. They're worried about her being the monster that she actually is, and so they try to kill her. And then she cocoons herself and becomes Natasha Henstridge, and is wandering around L.A. murdering people and 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 looking for dudes, looking for dudes for sex. 
And so it's essentially like a horror slash exploitation, horror sci-fi thriller exploitation movie. It was directed by Roger Donaldson, who is not a director I'm very familiar with, but he does have a fairly lengthy career from what I was looking at. He did No Way Out. He did Cocktail. He did Dante's Peak. He did 13 Days. And he did a bunch of other stuff. And a number of them like felt like they made sense to me with Species. But the one that blew my mind is he's the director of The Bounty. The Bounty with Anthony Hopkins and Mel Gibson, which is like a really good version of the Mutiny on a Bounty on the Bounty story. It's from the 80s, early 80s. Huh. And it's it's like it's it's a very like classy drama and is not species in the slightest. Like like Dante's no 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 nipple nipple tentacles and bounty no no nipple tentacles but uh because like like dante's peak and species they're of the they're cut from the same cloth like i i get that somebody would make those two movies of like okay one's like this exploitative horror thing this other is this this popcorn action thing but the bounty is like that's like oscar bait stuff and that was one of his first movies so it was really bizarre to find that the writer is someone named dennis feldman and he did uh, a few scripts and produced some things, but the only thing that really popped out to me of his writing um, that he also wrote the movie with Jamie Lee Curtis, Virus, which is uh, a very similar kind of alien knockoff like this one is. Um, you know, this one is has definitely has stuff stolen and pulled from Alien. And Syl, the character Syl, when she is seen in her alien form, was created by H.R. Geiger, and he was involved in the production, so that's just another connection to like the Alien series there. And then Species itself went on to spawn three sequels. Two of them were on TV, um, but the second one was theatrically released. So that's kind of some background on Species. As far as the cast, we have Natasha Henstridge is our, she was a model, and she's our main villain, essentially, as Syl. Ben Kingsley, Michael Madsen, Alfred Molina, Forrest Whitaker, and uh, Marg Helgenberger, who is not someone I think anyone would really know by name, but she's definitely a character actress that we would have seen in a bunch of stuff. Uh, so that's basically our core people. They have a lot of really good names on this. They do. And we'll talk about whether that worked. Um, so <laughs> that's basically my intro for Species. What do we make of Species? Well, you know, Linton, going back to what you were saying about the director with Bounty and everything, some you know what they say about about directing is sometimes you gotta make the good one in order to make all the bad ones. So <laughs> I guess <laughs> take yeah, that, Dante. Yeah, I guess this guy did it the opposite. You, first, you make all the bad ones usually, and, and then you make your final like good ones. Yeah, because the Bounty, like, I'll end up doing the Bounty on the show at some point. It's a legit good movie, and Hopkins is fantastic <laughs> in it. But I haven't seen yeah. it, uh, so. I'm interested in it now, especially knowing that these credentials, <laughs> I can see species level quality. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it it was a movie. It was a movie that um, it was. Uh, I know that's a very brown, groundbreaking thing to say. But, uh, <laughs> it had a beginning, middle and end. Uh, there was some interesting moments for sure. But yeah, I don't know where you want to start on this one because there's a lot of places we could start on this one. It's up to you. Well, how about the name? Why don't we first talk about just how many people 
of of quality acting is in this, or not? Not I mean, just it was impressive. Like Kings, Kingsley, Madsen, Melina, Whitaker, Oscar, uh, uh, Oscar award winning Ben Kingsley. Uh, he he had won yeah, for yeah. Gandhi well well before this movie. Wait, wait. So so, are you putting Michael Madsen on the same <laughs> level as Ben Kingsley? I don't know. I which mean, which I'm fine with considering. I think I think considering Iron Man, I think too. Ben Kingsley I mean, is willing to slum as much as Michael Madsen is willing to slum. Yeah, well, I mean, but it, the slumming is so much more uh, great, grand when it's Kingsley doing it. But I mean, Madsen play, pretty much plays the same character he plays in all the movies he's in. Yeah. Oh yeah, he definitely Michael at the very beginning. I'm like Michael Madsen is a Michael Madsen <laughs> character. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was pretty much his character, Alfred Molina. I hadn't seen him. Like for a while, I, I did see him in. We just watched uh, uh, Raiders just recently, and so I did see him in that, and it was funny to see. Does him that, that even count? He's in that for maybe a minute. Yeah, but his his dead body like lookalike <laughs> model there is is in it, and it, that scarred me as a child. He he milks those um, moments he's in. He has some good reactions yes, yes. and stuff. I, I, I enjoy. He's and, and I'm not like body shaming. I definitely can't now. Uh, but look at like when Albert Molina showed up, I'm like, Oh my God, he's so tiny and young. Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. He's a little baby. He is a little baby. <laughs> and then now, I mean, you know, Doc Ock twice, apparently. Yeah. Um, he was in Frida, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah. No, uh, there's so many good, like Force Whitaker, <laughs> the, tons of things he's been in. Ghost Dog. Go, I was gonna say Ghost Dog. I love. I, I. That was one of those movies that I didn't want to watch at first, and then when I watched it, I'm like, "Ooh, this is good." Yeah, Ghost Dog. Style. Yeah, yeah. They had some great actors. They had some uh, th- some great design. H.R. Geiger, Geiger, however you mm. say it. Uh, I should have looked that up. So probably I didn't Geiger, sound like, like, a the cou- like the Geiger counter. It, it's the only way that makes sense. I think I've heard it both ways. I'm not sure, but let's move on from it. <laughs> no. Sorry sidetracked but yeah they uh yeah i mean you're right that they they did have a pretty stacked i mean i wouldn't say stacked cast but they had like a cast of like notable people people that you know people who i mean kingsley is probably the only person who pops out as like a leading man i mean force whitaker has been a leading man in some stuff but i feel he's he's usually more of like a supporting and character actor in most things i would agree and kingsley is obviously playing a lot of supporting roles but i would say he you know in the thick of it he was playing more leading stuff uh then madsen i don't know if has ever really led much and then alfred molina has always been like a character actor but they're all like worthwhile talented people that they got for this movie. And yeah, then Geiger, um, you know, you have alien obviously is huge for people, you know, people knowing of him, but he was an accomplished artist in his own right outside of that film series. And so he brought some pretty solid designs to this, but uh, yes. So what do we think of the movie and how they use these elements? (sighs) I, I don't know. Uh, I, I actually, I, I know, David, I saw you writing some of this down, but I really dug the practical effects when they were used. I think they, and even the ones that, like, the special effects are decent for its time. 
but the practical effects I liked a lot. I thought, I mean, it, it made for some really good scenes. Like the, uh, I actually was reading up on that cocoon scene where they actually shot that upside down. And so they built that train car upside down and, and she was pushed through yeah. from the bottom to, to go through. And I thought that was really interesting how that was shot that way. And I dig it. I dig the special, special and practical effects in it. I mean, the, the end was, the ending was, ugh. the when, but when they used the costume for the alien, it wasn't, wasn't too bad. Cause I mean, there was a costume, right? Or was it all? I don't know if I, I read some stuff that they, they had like an animatronic and stuff. So I think when Syl is giving birth at the end, you see like her head doesn't look, it's not moving like a, an actress is under there. So I think some of that's like animatronic. It's possible they might've had somebody in a bodysuit at, for some of those shots. Right. But yeah, I, I did read that at least part of it's animatronic. When, so they did a really good job of, I mean, similar to alien one where, uh, you'd never really see the full alien uh, until the very end. And then at the very end, you see the alien stand up, and it looks kind of dumb. They did a really good job of just showing um, quick edits and uh, partial views of the alien. And only, yeah, only really using uh, CG for some of the quick change things that happened at first. There's tentacles um, that come out yeah. of her mouth at one point, and it's like, this is 1995 CGI. It's not the worst thing in the world. Like, it, it sells it enough, but it's definitely like you're watching it and thinking, yeah, that would look better today for sure. They did a great job with uh, the weird dream sequences, too. Yeah. Like, putting a couple of filters on that so that, it, one, it's more dreamlike, and two, you can tell what's going on and you can tell what the figures are, but there's not a ton of detail. So there's still mystery there. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think the, the writhing watery alien scenes like that were decently solid. I mean, there was neat, like just glimpses of the creature and, 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 and just hinting at stuff and obviously showing she's torn which I kind of want to get into that a little bit if, if I'm not, you know, jumping ahead. But you call her the villain, and I know, like, she's the antagonist, but I don't know if I would call her the villain, you know. I, just because, you know, she, she, yes, she, I, I don't know. I guess, I, I guess in the, I don't know the lore of species as much, so I don't know if the aliens are, are, are trying to. Well, I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's essentially acting like an animalistic. She's acting like an animal. She yeah. has human intelligence to a point. I think it's, I mean, she has human intelligence. She can speak and everything, but it's, some of it gets kind of cloudy and weird. How, like, how does she just know these things or figure them out immediately? And then, and yet right. she's still acting like a tiger and stuff. But yeah, I, I mean, you're right that she isn't, She's not a mustache twirling villain. She's a villain in the way the Raptors are a villain in Jurassic Park. You know, she's Fair. a like she's a creation by mad scientists unleashed, and then she's killing people. So, but yeah, I mean, your point makes sense that yes, yeah, at, at the end of the day, she's not she's not like going out and murdering people for her own ends. Uh, but I would say that there are points where she does stuff. She does stuff that she doesn't have to do. Like, I mean, oh, she yeah, attacks some sure. people like, like in defense, but like, yeah, she, she abducts that woman and she keeps her 
and then she uses the she just flat out cold bloodedly murders the woman and and makes people think that the woman is her like she does the switch with her like she cuts off the woman's thumb and cuts off her own thumb so like that's all very calculating that's not like i'm an animal and i'm lashing out so i would say at a certain point she definitely crosses over into being in control and a villain yeah but i think I think we fall into the nature versus nurture argument. Like, did we create her to be that way because we locked her up and then, you know, we're gassing her. And so that's, I don't know. Oh no, she's a weapon. (laughs) Like she, it it very much, uh, I, I think that she was very much meant to be a weapon, but on the other hand, uh, it's not like she knew that. Um, she was operating under her, you know, what she needs to do. Or even if she wasn't, you know, a weapon per se, she would have been an invasive species that, oh, title, uh, she would have been an invasive species that, uh, would have wrecked, um, the world. Right. Uh, one of the things I like, though, is that it started off, um, it started off setting her up at, or setting Ben Kingsley up as the bad guy and thus setting humanity up as a bad guy because there's the intro text just blocks of intro text uh, explaining what Seti is which makes sense for the time I guess and then the first words actually spoken are when they start gassing her and you see Ben Kingsley do his majestic single tear and go I'm sorry and then the action happens and all that. And that was really good. It, it was really well done. You you know, they drop you right in the middle of, why is there a little girl in a geodesic dome pod thing? Why why is she being... Te- oh no, they're going to kill her. And then she turns out to be the, you know, the antagonist. Right. Um, although, personally, watching it, I was like, they... They pretty much recap everything that was in the uh, beginning text when he's introducing the mercenary squad right. or whatever you yeah. want to tell call them. And I'm wondering if that was added after the fact because people didn't pick up on it or if they always meant to go over it twice for no good reason. I feel like that's a very 90s th- thing that they did in movies where you see the action, you see what actually happens, or, or for the most part, see it pretty spelled out, and then at one point, they're going to explain it to you again because it's like, w- come on, we just saw this, why are we explaining it again? So, I mean, I feel like that happens in, I mean, at the top, I, I'm saying that it's a 90s thing, and I can't think of other things that they do that in at, <laughs> at the moment, but, like, I feel like that was a thing that happened around this time, where you would you would see these mo- see these things happen in movies, and they would just turn around and explain I it. think it's kind of like just yeah. an action and thriller thing, and, and, and sci-fi to a degree. Okay. I mean, it's for, for bad stuff. I mean, good stuff doesn't do it and doesn't need to do it. But I think we see it a lot right. in that. And you saw a lot of action, sci-fi, and thriller movies of the 90s. So maybe that's why you're connecting it. Although this movie was very much of the X-Files sure. era. It, it felt like it, it it was a rated R X-Files movie. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Mulder and Scully could easily have come into this world and been, you know, you 
drop out the team and they would have been the one investigating and picking up. So, yeah. Mulder would have totally impregnated her. (laughs) You're just thinking about David Duchovny in general. I think Mulder had like a, I think Mulder had like a porn addiction as well from, I think there's like allusions to it in some of the episodes. Oh, yeah. But yeah, like, and I don't mean to say this was in any way a knockoff. I just mean X Files opened up a um, a certain view of sci-fi that this, I think, fits into uh, at that time, where it's you've got the uh, hard sci-fi elements, but you're not in space. You're not doing it. It's it's more of a, okay. It's the effects. Of, on the ground, you've got the shadowy government figures, all of that. Uh, which, the shadowy kind of bad guy government figures, uh, which uh, worked very, very well. Well, this, I read that the, I read the scripts, like, the guy tried to get it sold a couple times until it finally did. So it likely was in the works before X-Files would have been out there and it probably wouldn't have served as inspiration. But as we're talking about it, he uh, he did, I read that, so he approached it, he was thinking of it as like a procedural, uh, like, like a police procedural. And so I'm wondering if maybe something like Alien Nation would have been an inspiration for this, because that was a police procedural with aliens, and that was in the 80s. Yeah. That okay. Movie, that, that show scarred me. Like, there are, there are moments in that, like, I think it was like the Lizard Baby and all these little things from Alien Nation. You're thinking of V. I am thinking of V, aren't I? You failed oh, us, Nate. The original V, not the, not this, not the remake they did, what, f- t- 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, with uh, Marina Baccarin. Yeah. Yeah, the original V, which I have on VHS, because I'm that kind of geek. Yeah, you're right. I the, It was the original V. That's what I was thinking of. Man, that, that show, that was also crazy. But anyway, we're, we're varying off of species a lot, and I apologize, because I keep, I keep doing that. Uh, I mean, this was a movie of notable deaths, I think. Like these, these deaths were very interesting in a lot of, a lot of. Mm. I feel like uh, the pulling into a cocoon, the tongue through the back of the head. That one was I mean, cool. the nipple tentacles. Like there, there's some really interesting. Like, hey, let's do some weird shit with alien death. Uh, alien well, the tentacles murder. didn't so kill anyone, just, right? They just she tried to grab Michael Madsen, or am I forgetting one? No, I, I think in that's the, what uh, kills the guy tub. in the pool. In the hot, yeah, in the pool. It yeah, John Kerry. Who was it? Oh yeah, John. It was the guy's yes. character was John Kerry. <laughs> it wrapped around his throat okay. and then down his mouth. The, okay. Yeah. Not being an expert on alien anatomy, despite the amount of it we saw in this movie. Heyo, we'll get to that eventually. Uh, at that point, I was wondering: Is this when she gets impregnated? Because I don't know how things work. Right. Like she may like that may have been hunting out the gonads. Uh, well, see, David, when a man and an alien love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> but the I, I honestly was surprised that it wasn't more graphic when it comes to uh, when it comes to the death and the blood. Like there was there were some good impressive deaths, but uh, I mean. Normally in a rated R like uh, thriller like that, you could see a lot more gruesome, like 
they would have focused more and shown even more of the yeah, death. Yeah, if, if this were like I a 1980s movie, I think they would have doubled down on the gore effects. I think some of it's probably they're like probably. resting on their laurels of we've got CGI, so we can do that. That's that's flashy and new, and it's it's not good. Uh, for you know, so I think that might have been the idea of like we're inserting this great new technology so we don't need as much of the practical possibly um because yeah if, if if this was around the era of the thing and a lot of the other the fly i think yeah you would have seen more in-depth practical stuff i, I kind of now again this is just me feeling this way and i could be completely wrong i mean i think you had like graphic crazy cool deaths in the 80s and the 90s, I think it felt like they slowed that down where you didn't have as much crazy. And then now we're amped back up with like Game of Thrones and other things that just kind of desensitize us to these things anymore. I think that are just super like, yeah, let's just lop off limbs and and flop dicks all over the place. And, and I think that's part of the thing is they well, I'm, I'm going into the nudity part portion of this because we have to talk mm. about nudity with this. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's I, I mean, would they was there a ratings issue that they may have had to run into where they have to either skimp on, on gore or skimp on nudity in order to keep it R instead of going beyond R? There's always like a big question mark on what you can get away with, with the ratings board. I know that they, based on like stuff, Mm -hmm. Trey Parker and Matt Stone have talked about, they'll play ball with studios very much so compared to independent filmmakers. So, I mean, this was released by, I'm not sure which, but like some major studio, so they would have been willing to go along with a good bit. But yeah, I mean, I think based on the way the movie's presented, it's it's trying to be more of a popcorn kind of thing. An R-rated popcorn movie versus stuff like, I don't know, really gnarly horror stuff of the 80s where it's, we just want, I mean, I, I can't think of like a specific one that's really encapsulating uh, like, I don't know, Phantasm 2 had crazy gore effects. And that is not <laughs> something they're trying to sell to the average moviegoer. That is something they're trying to sell to right. horror fans. So I think this movie was probably trying to go for like, oh, you want to see a kind of scary movie with your girl? Go watch Species. You know, I mean, obviously there's tons of nudity in this, but but I think they're trying to go for that kind of like, oh, it's R-rated, but it's, you know, we don't, it's not not super gross. Right. Well, this is this is also the same year that Showgirls came out, and and I, I bring that up because this Showgirls was in my memory the first movie I hear going beyond R. That is, as a child, I'm like, oh man. I mean, obviously, other than like porn mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but it was like one of the first times you I heard as a child, like, well, I guess I was what. 12, 13 at the, when this movie came out, that it's like, oh man, NC-17, they really push the button, they, you know, they're going beyond this, this is this is something that w- most people aren't going to see, and so that's why I was thinking that, is because this is the same year as that, that came out, and so I was wondering if, you know, you go too far in one direction, either the gore, or, or if you go too far in both directions, gore and nudity, if you start getting on those, getting on the brink of having NC-17 ratings or whatnot. So, I, I don't know. That's a good point, because that easily could have happened. Yeah, uh, this movie was built, it was it was sold so much on the strength of Natasha Henstridge's boobs alone. <laughs> yes, it was. Like, and for good I, reason. I re- good reason, there, yes, that's they, a great way to put it. <laughs> it's, that's, it's obvious that that was a filmmaker focus. 
they uh, there's just superfluous nudity throughout for her. Um, I'm not I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just that's uh, what they that's that what they wanted to do. That's oh, yeah, what the ads were all about. That's totally what all the press was about. In his presentation, I mean, it's one yeah. thing if you have a character that's naked for a given reason or a plot reason, but yeah, she she's naked at points when she doesn't need to be. And yeah, so I mean, it's they're they're leaning hard into it. Like I don't know how many times she's lost her clothes. Like literally, like oh man, I lost them again. Like how many times in four days? I'm assuming it's like three or four days here. Or maybe it's only two that you lose your clothes. I mean, there's got to been six or seven times. Like I know she's new to humanity, but come on. I don't know. It just seems like uh, we're we're uh, conveniently losing it all the time. Honestly, it was a good. It was a good movie. It was a good B movie. Yeah, and it uh, it didn't go as far as uh, the stereotypical seventies, uh, eighties French films uh, when it comes to the uh, sex and nudity. Uh, it did, but it was pretty pretty heavy on the nudity for a rated R uh, in America in the nineties. Right. Uh, movie. They they really wanted to play that up. Uh, that that was their focus, um, which is probably a good idea. Because if it, if they had played it straight, it probably would have been uh, just another blip on the radar yep. that year. I would agree. See, so I'm, I'm interested uh, where everyone fell on it in terms of like its quality. Because David's coming out swinging with it's a good movie. Uh, which is fine. Uh, I'm curious where Nate's at. I, I do not think it's a good movie, uh, and I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I gonna well, I'm gonna make an admission here. Yeah. So I watched this movie for the first time years ago, like probably 13, 14 years ago or something, and I remember laughing at tons of stuff. And I think it was probably because it was I was probably as shortly out of college, so I think it was more in sort of a mystery science theater vibe of like just just eating up bad movies and i just laughed i still laughed at stuff watching it this time but this time it it felt way more tame on that for me so like before i thought like oh that's a really good like like they did it it, they they tried and they made it and it was bad and now i'm watching it and i'm thinking oh it's just kind of regular bad like there's some parts i was laughing at but a lot of it i was just like I don't care about any of this. And so I I make that admission because I didn't, a lot of times in these episodes, it comes up, well, here's why we're looking at this one. Or here's why we're looking at that one. If this is weird or this wasn't a success or whatever. I went into this one. I picked species because I thought, oh, I remember species. And it was like really bad. And I was surprised. And then I rewatched it just now. And I was like, oh, it's just normal bad. So we're just going to talk about species some. So I would say at, at the end of the day, it's not all that unusual. It doesn't have anything that sets it apart, unlike most of the other things that we do. Well, I, I think this fell right into when I first watched this was in the 90s. This fell right into my phase of Total Recall, this, other things in, the, in that similar veins to that of, of movies like the teenage boy starts getting into in the 90s of like all the action and boob movies and all that stuff so this has like that point of of nostalgia for me a little bit so i mean i enjoyed watching it again i I enjoyed how dumb it is because there are some supremely dumb things in here like 
ham-fisted comments like maybe we're the pred- we're the bad predators oh, the dialogue, and stuff like that where they're like the dialogue really is so things. bad <laughs> no my my favorite line from the movie was she was half us and half something else i wonder which half was the predatory half and the other and then michael madsen looks and goes the debtor half yeah that was right at the end i mean the, i mean yeah. that, that was terrible uh, but but it, it's I don't know. To me, it's it's the it's still the fun kind of terrible to me. I, I love my I love me some '90s schlock and crazy weird stuff. I mean, because that's what I I grew up, and I also grew up on all the TV edits of all these things. So like Total Recall TV edit. I oh, did watch this. Child. I, well, we didn't have cable, so I mean, I I, I got this one from the movie uh, from the movie store, but I also saw it TV edited more often than I didn't. I mean, I was the TV edit kid on, on my action film, so it was it was even re- more ridiculous for me. So, I like it. I think it's uh, like I don't think it's high art, but <laughs> no. it's a good it's a good popcorn movie. Like, and honestly, I'm gonna say it's better than Prometheus in that it has internal logic. Like to go with another uh, Geiger ass thing. Why, it has why, are you, why are you giving logic. me this horrible, like, Sophie's Choice of two bad things? I don't want this. I don't want either of them. I don't want to defend either of these movies. Yeah. Well, no, that's the thing. Like, Prometheus tried to be too artsy. Like, you can be a good and highbrow artsy uh, sci-fi movie. I've seen them. I love them. A lot. But this, uh, there's something to be said for a movie that knows what it is and, and just goes full bore for it. And and this, I think, was one of those. It wanted to be exactly what it became. Um, The effects were good. The acting was... I mean, the... (laughs) Go ahead with your acting comment. Sorry, I'm just laughing. Yeah, no, the the acting was good. No, it wasn't. (laughs) I was like, the acting was what it was, but, I mean, it's not like we were watching American Ninja. It's not like we were watching a whole, like, I think we all watched a whole lot of bad thrillers and uh, sci-fi movies and horror movies in the 90s. And I think this movie had the, uh, it had the funds to give it pretty good actors who did what they could. It had the, uh, uh, e- even if Ben Kingsley has just the most absurd accent, the most absurd accent, um, it has, uh, it had effects that were good uh, I didn't laugh at them except for at the end when it was all CG and I was yeah, just that like got bad. Yeah. That, that got bad but I think I mean at the time it was amazing and I think it could have been better and timeless if they had leaned a little bit heavier on the don't show her completely right or, or just use the use the like you were saying Linton, the uh, the Animatronic. Uh, you didn't say animatronics. What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, an- no, you said that. Oh, okay, animatronics. That I mean, they they relied more on that stuff. I think it would have been it, it would have made the ending a little more impactful than the. See, I, I guess I I disagree on the like keeping her in the shadow stuff. I mean, I know that's a standard trope of horror. It's a standard device of horror, and it, it it's it's been used many times, and it's been used very well. Jaws did it, obviously. Jaws did it because. They had to do it, and they couldn't get the shark to work. Alien did it to great degree, and many other things have done it. But I feel like once 
there are points in the in Alien. Well, for one thing, the tension is Alien in Alien is so much better. Like Absolutely. sequences are just built where, like, like the part where Tom Skerritt is climbing through the air vents is just an incredibly tense scene, and then the alien shows up, and you're like, oh fuck! And when Ripley is getting away, and the alien is stowing away, so I, I think the movie lacks anything like that. You don't get those kind of great suspenseful moments. Um, so, so any kind of like hiding sill does to me doesn't seem like it goes toward any greater goal but then i feel like in in the original alien you do get to see the alien in its full glory in a few parts and here other than when sills giving birth i don't feel you like the design of her is really good if you look up like just a design maybe they show her more in the second one but if you look up just a design of sill like the full body thing it looks great i mean i would say that the 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 fact that Geiger gave her alien nipples on top of her body is just fucking silly. And it looks like ridiculous, but the rest of the design looks great. And they did this sort of thing where she's like her, she has like an outer layer that's like clear. And then inside her, like there's like, it's like a second layer that's black. So it's like they, they described it as like, as though she was something contained within like, a piece of glass or something. So it looks really cool, but you only see it for those brief flashes. I would have loved like some sequences where you see her and you see an actress, Natasha, Natasha Hendricks or somebody in, you see still in her full glory, like coming at something, like just slowly walking towards somebody and she's going to fuck them up. Like they're coming for a baby or something like something like that. Like I would like to see that because I don't feel the movie does it. The design is good, but I don't think the movie does a good job with it. I don't think it I don't think it uses it well. Even though I think the design is inherently pretty good, I don't think the movie is I don't think the filmmakers are good enough. They they're not Ridley Scott. So they don't know what they're doing in presenting it. That's where I fall on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at a picture right now on IMDb of the animatronics and it is exactly what you're saying. It it is it's like some glass casing over this almost mechanical insectoid sort of yeah. creature underneath. And it's and biomechanical, it's, I think it is a cool, cool design. And I agree. They probably should have used it and, and instead of CGI it because I, it, it's creepy. It, it's reminiscent of both a, a human and this alien thing. And it's, it's cool. And I think I think you're right. They lose a lot of the magic by keeping it in the shadows too much, and then CGIing it when it is when it isn't in the shadows. Yeah, because it loses me once the CGI comes in. Because it's like you've you've got a cool design, and I've seen flashes of your design. Now, like, put someone in that great costume, please. Yeah, it, it actually looks like. Uh, I mean, it, it looks like cartoon it looks very cartoonish like almost like clone like the star wars clone Wars series like some of the characters in that you see that it's like oh this does not look this doesn't fit it it doesn't fit the 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 genre or the feel or the look of the movie it had it cg especially at that time lacks depth as well as uh if you look at something in cg it, it does not have a physical presence in the world right yeah and on the one, well, to defend my point, the slow build of just showing uh, small parts of her, her eye, uh, when she was looking through the tree yeah. and the leaves, uh, that kind of thing, or just seeing a little bit uh, peeking through her skin as uh, she's kind of changing, that kind of thing. Right. I 
I think that all of that works uh, fantastically to try to build that tension for the big reveal. I think the problem is that the big reveal, yeah, was uh, CG. Yeah. I think hiding her throughout most of it, also that's a limitation of could they have had someone in that costume and have it move naturally and move and work right. well? I have no idea. It would have been nice if they had tried. Because CG always works poorly. Well, uh, CG on its own always works poorly. CG to sure. enhance yeah. works right. fantastically, like in uh, Jurassic Park. But uh, the Lord of the I, Rings movies did it very well. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of movies that do it really well. Or like Lord of the Rings did it really well with the uh, orcs, but then The Hobbit made the orcs all CG, and they yeah. look bad. Even though it was better technology. So I, I really think that uh, I, I really think that all of the setup of the slowly showing and revealing little bits here and there that kept her kind of human in our eyes, uh, that kept her from being just a monster until the very end when uh, yeah that end scene had they it would have been beautiful if they had actually been able to do uh, something a little bit more practical. practical. I was going to say realistic, but no. Practical. Um, th- this this another movie that came out around this time that has a lot of the same feels with Screamers. Um, I've never seen that one. Oh, it, it's, that now one. this one's more like it's on some another planet, but it was a similar, it, it had, this, to me, it has a similar feel to this. Like a, a lot of crazy deaths, uh, uh, some interesting nudity choices and that sort of thing. It just, it came out the exact same year as this. And it just seemed like they're too, they did a lot of good things that I think they built a lot of good tension where this one failed to do. Like, like you just didn't have those tense moments like you have in alien and then in, in screamers, they were able to do that very well. I thought at least I remember it that way. So it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but that, that was right around the same time as, as it was the same year as this, but right around the same time I was watching these types of movies. Mm-hmm. So. I I do think that this movie would have been better served if they tried a little bit harder. <laughs> Just, it it's a good movie in that it's an enjoyable popcorn movie, and I really, really thought it, like, last night I was watching it, and I had a lot of fun with it. They very much, though, were like, oh, Natasha Henstridge, she's a model. We're going to uh, have her naked throughout it. Pretty much. And that was the, that it almost felt like a vehicle for introducing her into movies. Uh, which, which was it Bordello of Blood tried to do the same thing for uh, Kathy Island? Uh, it's been ages since I saw Bordello of Blood. If you want to look it up, um, you can check that. Uh, on the Hendricks thing, though, that, that ties in with something I was thinking as I was watching it. So... I looked up her career and she's only like 46 and I think still gorgeous because um, I think she was only like 20 or 21 when they were shooting this. And she was a former model or probably still working as a model concurrently to this. So she was in like a handful of movies and some, I think, guest spots on TV shows and stuff over the years. The biggest thing she was in the like the whole nine yards and ten yards movies they made, I'm guessing, is like the girlfriend of somebody. I think her name changes. I think she gets married or something. But I, as I was watching, even though I don't think it's a good movie, I was surprised that and I, I don't know how good an actress she is, 
I mean, I'm not, she's a model and that can go either way. Sometimes models can be really good or sometimes they can be like, yeah, they're just pretty. And she's not given a whole lot to do. I think she works well enough for what they need her to do. But it is a little surprising that I could have seen with, with as pretty as she is and she's fit and the way this movie is presented, like nobody thought let's build an action franchise around her. Like I kept thinking of Mila Jovovich. Yeah. Like, like they built movies around her and she's like a pretty good actress. She's not amazing, but she's pretty good. And she's probably better than Natasha Henstrich is, but Mm -hmm. like I could have seen this lady being, you know, they give her some fucking like where she's going off and murdering vampires or some shit. And the people would go see that. I think they tried. I mean, you know, I mean, they, they, they pulled full, they went full Terminator on the second movie where they bring her back to be the hero to fight the other. other okay. Alien. See, I've never watched the second one, so I don't know where so it the goes. Second one I know. A, I know this, a guy is brought in. Yeah. The second movie is basically Terminator two where she, they, a guy comes in and they recreate her cause they have those, the, her genetic material on uh, frozen. So they recreate her and she comes out. She's now Eve and she fights, for us and, and fights against the other, the male one. And so it's, and then there's, a, I have not, I don't think I've seen the third one, uh, but the second one I remember seeing once. I read the third one. A, she comes back in like a cameo or a small role or something because okay. it focuses on a different character, a different clone thing or something. But yeah. They totally went the Terminator route where they bring back okay. the villain as the hero in the second. Well, movie. that does sound vaguely interesting, but yeah, it's, it's just, but I mean, it's more of the same. It's like sex-related deaths, nudity, and alien splay. Like, is the alien really bad, or is it we created the made him bad? But it's just a little more. It's even more like uh, it, there's even less subtlety. We'll just put it that way. And this was not a subtle movie, but the second one was even less subtle than this one. So it, it's it, it's just like I mean, I think they tried to do it. It's just the material they gave her to do those roles like to be the badass and just was not strong enough. So I think, I mean, yeah, Mila jo- uh, Jovovich with her umbrella, like the, the uh, resident evil movies, that sort of thing. But part of that is, um, I think Mila Jovovich would have done better had she not been married to the guy who makes the uh, resident evil movies. Cause they're married, right? I'm I not thought sure. they were, it might be. or was, or yeah. am, are still on. Yeah, because she's a better uh, actress than he's a director. Correct. I, I I feel like he weighed her down. So the whole uh, model becoming a uh, actress, like in a big sci-fi or horror movie thing, because I remember that happened a few times. I think this was one of the wor- first ones, mm-hmm. uh, and it worked fairly well. I looked up Bordello of Blood was the next year, and. It had both Erica Laniac and Angie Everhart, okay. who were both uh, models or Playboy models or whatnot, uh, in acting roles. And I think that was part of the genre at the time. Like, let's bring the most beautiful women in the world who are known for modeling and put them in the movies. Um, well, that was Rebecca Romaine in the X Men movies, right? Well, and, and that was I a think, few years later, I yeah. think Nicole Kidman started as a model. I mean, I think there's actresses. I mean, they they might yeah. not always have been like they are a model. They are did. they are capital M model. Like people know them as right. a model first. But I think there are some b- 
big stars that were like in modeling before they eventually got into acting. And that's, I think that's... with these, they were billing like that was the selling point. Yeah. Uh, I think Brooke Shields was another one who was a model, or was she actress? And well, model she at the she same was time? in the Blue Lagoon, and she was a literal child, which is one of the issues with the Blue Lagoon. Yeah. Um, but yeah. she might have been modeling as like a teen girl. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like I don't. Oh, I don't think she was. She wasn't this kind of model. No. Yeah. But that was one of those things where. I mean, Nastasha Hedges would, would be what you would call a supermodel, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I think. You've got your supermodels, and then you've got your models. I mean, and then you, and, and then you've got even the the models slash act, people who were in it, but then really were actresses and end up being actresses. But I think this was the big first supermodel. I think you're right on that one. Like one of and, them, and it was great. Like she, I, I, they may have given her only a little bit to do because of that. Like it, it kind of. I did wonder while watching it. Whether or not, uh, whether or not they limited the amount uh, that she had to emote and that she had to do, just in case. Well, and she has that kind of benefit of like it's because uh, Nate, you brought up Terminator in the the apparently how the second one is structured, but she has that similar kind of thing going that Arnold Schwarzenegger had in the original Terminator because ter- you know in the original Terminator Arnold Schwarzenegger he was a bodybuilder. He had been in Hercules in New York, which is a horrible movie. And Schwarzenegger over the years what? like became, you know, like I would say a, a better actor and he learned more English and, you know, and everything. But but in Terminator, I would he venture to say he became a, a decently good actor yeah. near like later. No, no, no. I, I'm not. I, I, I like plenty all of, the way. I like plenty of. <laughs> oh, and I mean, he does have comedic abilities like, you know, he he's as good an actor as many, you know, of, of other stars like that of like the Eastwood Sean Connery kind of stuff where like they they have their niche and they can work it but my point is that in the original Terminator he has to be a cold remorseless robot who says lines that make him sound scary and he has to look badass while doing that and she's in a similar kind of mold where it's like she has to be like a cold detached alien at times she's like friendly and stuff but it's sort of like she's putting on somewhat of a mask and so she's she has a limited understanding of English. So like, yeah, it, it's it's working in a similar thing that the role fits someone who's more inexperienced and it kind of plays into it. Slightly changing the subject. One of the things that I found interesting is, and maybe it's because I spent so much time watching uh, think pieces on and that kind of thing on pop culture these days, but there's the idea of, uh, there's a trope of, um, w- women who were born yesterday and are sexy. Oh yeah. And uh, which you know you've got splash. You've got that's exactly just, what I was thinking. Mannequin. Yeah. Ma- yeah, mannequin. Even the Resident Evil movies, because uh, she wakes up as a pretty new clone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those, and it's just oh okay, so oh. Uh, Firefly slash, uh, yeah, Firefly. Summer, uh, Summer Glau or something, right? Isn't... Yes, yeah. Summer Summer Glau's character in that, uh, River song. Yeah. yeah, yeah, where she, you know, it's uh, they're childlike, but they're sexy, 
and um, like in in species, she is literally seven months old, something like right. that. Yeah, yeah. You that I found it interesting. Like I forgot about the child part at the beginning, and I was like, wow, for a movie that uh, for a movie whose entire marketing was you get to look at this woman's boobs. It was a bold move to set her up as a sympathetic child for the first ten minutes, <laughs> and that it, in overnight she becomes a woman, and then you start seeing her boobs immediately. Yeah, yes, yeah. that is. It, that, you know, I didn't even think about that. That is kind of a creepy, it's fantastic a, look at this. But this yeah, movie a is a good thing. movie about consent. <laughs> it is. There, there was that. Like that was also a great moment where, uh, oh, to recap for the audience. Uh, one of the first guys she uh, tries to hook up with, she uh, senses pheromones or something that there's uh, some reason they determine later that it's uh, diabetes, that uh, he was not a not an appropriate match for her genetically, and she changes her mind and says no, and he gets all creepy and is like, I'm gonna rape you. Duly noted. And her response is to kill him, is to basically like go, no, I, I changed my mind. I want to leave now. And when he presses, she kills him. Uh, but then she does the opposite later on. She does do the exact opposite with the very next guy. <laughs> who was a very, who seemed like a pretty awesome, nice dude. He was just yeah, like, he was nice I'm going to help her out now. I'm sure he might have been. But then he's like, no, no, too far. This is going too fast. And it's like, oh. Like, nice guy. And then she she, goes she also murders Alfred way. Molina after they have sex, and she successfully, uh, he successfully impregnates her like, immediately because she's a, a, a space alien. Um, so Accelerated, she has an accelerated life cycle. But yeah, so like that was a point where I was thinking, you know, she doesn't really have to murder him. I know the, like the team is after her and everything, but they're going to be after her regardless of her killing Alfred Molina or not. And so that was a moment where it felt like a better script would have had her letting him live, like, like just escaping and like having a moment or something. Cause I just didn't see the, I mean, you could play into like the female insects and stuff, killing their mate and that kind of thing. But I don't know. It just, it just seemed like something where she just randomly killed him and had no reason to. Linton with better writing, we would have had continuity between growth cycles here. Oh. Because how is it that it takes hours for her to become, like, a fairly large baby, like, large fetus, and then, like, seconds after he, you know, lets it go inside of her, she's like, you can feel it, feel him. And it's like, wait, what? Like, how is it in seconds this is already forming a actual fetus here instead of just a zygote, right? It's it's kind of nuts to me. So, like, there there was definitely no continuity in growth cycles between, the ba- between her her naturally oh i i have plenty of issues with the script that i'm going to bring up in a moment but david (laughs) well say the uh growth cycle for the uh for her child also was off because they set they set up a very specific it took this long for her to uh go from being a newborn infant to a uh four-year-old right it took this many weeks for her to look like she was seven. She was three months old here, and she looks like she's nine. And then her child is instantly, I'm going to guess three, four. I don't, like I don't, I don't have children. I don't understand their growth uh, rates. Nate, I'm how thinking. old? 
I'm, I'm thinking the boy would probably be three to four years old, possibly as early as two. But they quickly started deforming the child. Well, like, she with, she has the baby like, weird arms and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, she she gets they get down in kind of like a sewer area, and she has this baby, and the team is after her. So they're like I don't know twenty minutes behind her, an hour behind her, or something, and they eventually find her. Right. So she has this baby. So within let's say the span of an hour max, the baby goes from birth to three years old or two and a half. Um, I would say, I mean, she jumps out of the room at the same time they're going into the room. So we're talking conception to two or three year old within an hour and a half. I mean, that's just like you, you were very explicit in establishing growth cycle here and you're just going to throw it all out the window for an hour and a half to make it a little easier. While I don't think the movie is good and I don't think they even considered this kind of stuff. I would say I could give the movie the benefit of the doubt if it were better and better written in that you could claim she, her creation is she's the creation of the forming of this alien genome with a human genome. And they had to grow her and do all this stuff. But now she's a full grown like humanoid. And so possibly once, once she was to be full grown, that life cycle could be very like, the natural life cycle of this alien species could be different. Like once, once she's viable, it could be a different thing. But again, that is giving the movie way more credit than they give themselves. So I'm not about to do it. Well, plus that child is two thirds. That that child is two thirds uh, human. Sure. That's that's true. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Although I do want to point out once again, the practical effects when they're used in this movie are amazing. And that birth scene was terrifying. It Just, was. It was, it was creepy. Yeah, they did a really good job. It was in the dark. Somehow the completely emotionless and with uh, like alien face, uh, animatronic alien face they were using, it screams still emoted. Like you still oh, yeah. understood. They got Frank Welker oh, no. to do the screams. Wait, Frank what? Welker, the uh, voiceover, the... <laughs> And voice it like he's done tons of stuff. He did Nibbler on yeah. Futurama. He's done, I can't remember, but look him up. He's done all kinds of shit. Yeah, he did the voices of the alien sill, like the screams and howls and stuff. Interesting. That's, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, he, uh... Wow, Frank Welker, he... This movie has a lot of moments where it's, like, cool. Like, the birth scene, like you were saying. I thought that was a good scene. You've got, like, even even though it's weird and, like, the tongue through the back of the head. The, the stuff, that, so they good. had some interesting ideas and interesting things they could have made cool. But I think it suffered, the writing is what made it suffer. It's just, like, lazy writing. You know? Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's some decent ideas. I think there's the bones here for a story that could have been quite good. Um, they act, but I, I, I think the, the right actual writing of it's not good. And then they were pulling a lot from alien, like Geiger, who was working on it actually told them, like, I, I got, I don't know if he actually was a producer or if they just wanted to make him happy because they knew having him attached was a big deal and they wanted his designs, but he, argued for changes to the script because he was like, some of this is way too close to alien. And it's, he just didn't, he didn't think it would help the movie. And he's like, I'm already associated with alien. And like, I don't want to just be seen as like, you know, redoing the same thing. So he had them 
alter certain things. Like one of the things I read he had him change was the ending. So originally she just died in the fire at the very end. They're in the sewer and apparently there's just oil that's bubbled up in some area. And then they, they burn her. They start to burn her. Of LA. Yes. They start to burn her with uh, fire um, in the sewer and she was going to die by fire. And Geiger didn't like that. Cause he said, you know, horror movies always kill monsters with fire and it just played out and he likened it to like Salem witch trials. He felt like, uh, or, or not just Salem witch trials, but like witches, just like burning witches. So he's like, yeah, you know, that's just so done. And so he got them to, they just basically shoot her with a shotgun to the head, which I would argue is not all that better, but I mean, to his credit, it was grenade it's, launcher. uh, it's something else, but yeah, he, uh, he pushed for diff- different script changes, but yeah, for me, it comes down to like, the execution of it. I don't think the, the bones of it are terrible, but one thing we've only talked around a little bit, I really want to dive in and any key lines you want to go into because the acting and dialogue in this movie, that is what kills it for me. I can get around some of the special effects being dodgy, but you have the notable actors that we talked about. And what's weird is like, like, so you have these solid actors, but so many of the scenes are just awkward and stiff. And I think I think it's a combination of things. I think some of it is the the script dialogue. A lot of it's bad. I think some of it is these actors probably not giving a shit. But I think some of it's probably in editing. Like there are certain takes between actors where I'm sitting there thinking that couldn't have been Ben Kingsley's best line delivery for that. Like Michael Madsen definitely delivered that line cooler in another take. So I'm wondering if there was just like some bad editing where the script came off way worse because the editor wasn't good at like, maybe the editor's okay at action, but they're not great at scenes with characters. So some of the, like the dialogue bits I had was Ben Kingsley says super dramatically is Los Angeles is where the battle will be fought. And one. And they're talking about like going after Sill. Um, the Los Angeles was the city of the future. Yes. It was just a weird description of the Los lady Angeles. on the team uh, who was uh, Marg Helgenberger, Dr. Laura Baker. She says to Michael Madsen's character when he agrees to like go into this lab when they're testing something, man of action. I like that. And he says, that's me. And he almost delivers it exactly like Tommy Wiseau does in the room when Tommy Wiseau says, that's me. <laughs> and it's like, I'm sitting there thinking, not only does that remind me of the awfulness of the room, but I think there's no way that Michael Madsen didn't have a cooler line delivery of that moment as shitty as it was. Okay. And that, so, yeah, then the other one, big one for me, there's other bad dialogue, but I remember laughing my head off when I originally watched this at the scene where so basically they're back at Ben Kingsley's lab and they need, they, they have um, the alien genome. And one of the doctors has the idea of, Oh, well, why don't we grow that alone without human DNA? And we can find out what we're dealing with, which is like not a bad idea. It's like, all right, script, I'll go with you on this. Cause they don't know really what Syl is. Cause Syl looks like a person most of the time. But then underneath, she's like, essentially like she's kind of camouflaged or she's hiding herself underneath this human skins kind of idea. So they think, well, like, let's not do it with a human genome. Let's just do it by itself. And so they, they're going to go in in this like clean room and they're like, uh, you know, 
basically uh, impregnating an egg or something, this alien space egg or something. And it's Michael Madsen and then that doctor lady. And they go in to do it. And meanwhile, you have Ben Kingsley and Alfred Molina. And is anyone else back there? Oh, uh, Forrest Whitaker. So they're back on the outside of this glass. Well, so they impregnate the egg or whatever, and the egg starts, stuff starts happening. It starts accelerating growth, and it becomes this, like, alien blob thing that's coming out. And the uh, Madsen and the other doctor, they're they're trying to get out, and Ben Kingsley will not let them out. And the dialogue in that scene is so ludicrous. It is just every character saying what is happening in the scene at the point it's like characters are saying, because they drop some bolt. They're trying to secure this box with this alien creature. And they drop the bolt. And characters are like, find the bolt. Get the bolt. Well, we drop the bolt. Well, you have to get the bolt. Well, the bolt's under the floor. Can you lift up the grate? We can't lift the grate. It's too heavy. Everything is just spoken out. And then you have, like, they're saying, you have to burn it. You bur- Burn them. Bur- burn the creature. And then people are yelling at Ben Kingsley, telling him, you have to let them out. Open the door. I can't open the door. You have to open. It's like, it's like that for like four minutes. And I remember when I first watched it, just laughing through the whole thing. It's so bad. And so much of it could be done through visuals. You don't need dialogue for a lot of it. It also doesn't make sense why Ben Kingsley's just wanting them to die in there. I don't care about the whole protocol thing. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. Like he put them in there. And they need, he needs to let them out. They aren't infected. What are you doing, David? You're, you're well, raising your hands in the air. You're defending it, Ben Kingsley it, now. It looks, you know what, the, you know what that scene reminded me of? It's that meme, that button pushing meme where they get, where it's the two bad choices and they got to pick, yes. and push the button and he's sweating. That was basically, that, that was the meme personified that because they focused on those buttons and his fingers over the buttons so many freaking times. But it was it was literally the meme personified. But I want wait. To touch David, on David wants to David wants to yeah. defend this movie script. Go ahead, David. Dig your horn. I, I want to def- I want to defend Ben Kingsley's character's actions. <laughs> right. there. I want to hear this because Institution- institutionalist David. Let's hear it. Because I'm watching it, going, you should have burned them. Things <laughs> worked out for the best, but uh, they had what a blobby alien thing that was uh, spewing liquids and nastiness everywhere and maybe it's post-COVID David looking at things going God, I have no idea what's in the air in there but that's exactly what they were thinking like, it's the same reason why um, it's the whole it's the same reason why Or I was going to go with uh, to to keep it within the Giger family Uh, it's the same reason why uh, if people had listened to uh, Ripley and Alien, or people and aliens. If people had listened to uh, Naomi Rapace's character, yeah. is that her name? In uh, Prometheus, where the guy comes up and she's like, oh no, no, we are not letting him in. He might be infected with God knows what. These people were in a room, like, originally it was within a sealed environment. There were all of these uh, redundancies. Okay. So you've got the alien embryo thing inside the sealed environment within another sealed environment that could be burned and the people are wearing hazmat suits and all of a sudden it's come out and it's attacking them. We do not know what's going on. 
if he opened that door, like, they thought they killed it, and it wasn't dead, and it was going into pipes, that thing could have easily gone in and out. He was thinking of what was best for the world. He could have, like, they could have let that alien I know, out. I understand that, and I understand that that's what the script is working on. I mean, the script is just stealing from Alien, essentially, with that. Um, oh, but yeah. I disagree with you in the way that it's presented. I don't buy it, because in the examples you gave in Prometheus and in Alien, the people have literally become infected. I mean, they the guy had a face hugger on him in Alien, and Ripley is saying, fuck this, and she's absolutely right. In this movie, though, I have at least two problems with that sequence. One is Ben Kingsley doesn't say, go into that room and do this thing, and if anything goes wrong, I burn you the fuck alive. He doesn't say that. <laughs> Okay, so Ripley, Ripley and Why the whole crew he? know when they go out and investigate stuff that there's quarantine procedures. And when when they try to bring the people back, uh, what John Hurt's character, whatever his name is, when they try to bring him back inside, Ripley's like, you know the procedures. We cannot do this. And they're going against procedures that are known by everyone on the crew. But Michael Madsen is just like what? Like just some sort of like agent? Assassin. assassin. He was. He was just in right. there to help. He's just, yeah. He's just in there. Yeah. So he's not. He's not part of the medical crew. He's not. None of these people are. She's. She. They've all been brought in. They don't know anything about these procedures. So Ben Kingsley sending them in this room with the back of his mind thinking, "Oh, if something goes wrong, I just burn these fucks." They don't know that. So to me, that's pretty fucked up. That's one problem. The other problem is the thing wasn't. He, he won't let them out. The thing is still in that plastic box. And eventually it gets out. It never gets on them. It's never latched on their face or anything. You're right that, yes, some, there could be alien spores in the air or whatever. But he could have right. let them out of that room immediately. And then it's still in that box shaking around. And then you, you burn the whole room. So th- to me, that scene doesn't make sense because it's not, it's not like the scene and say, we'll go away from alien and say Independence Day. So like when the doctor in Independence Day gets attacked and the aliens like talking through his mouth, like, okay, that doctor's done. I I get it. Like, you know, but in this, they weren't done and they're in hazmat and you could do whatever. They have to go to some kind of chemical bath or whatever. But I just didn't buy the way Ben Kingsley was being presented because, yeah, you're right. They're trying to go for that Ripley alien thing. But to me, the situation is completely different. Well, I also... I like that scene for Ben Kingsley uh, for another reason, in that that entire scene uh, changes him from, uh, well, changes him from the I'm really good at my job government agent scientist guy to the other, uh, uh, to the other cliche, which is he is a spineless government scientist bureaucrat guy but I think he played that wonderfully because at the very beginning they're like can we do this um well we've got technicians but I I wouldn't want to bring more people into this like he's already cutting corners there and then when they go in there I I thought that all of that made sense for his character it also at the end shows him to be completely and utterly spineless uh, like at the end of it, once they get out, his ineffectual apology, um, his trying to make them understand it's just policy and all that. I thought, and that may be just 
questionable source material being done fairly well by Ben Kingsley. But he, I, I really enjoyed how that scene set up but his see, character. Because it, it's an ensemble piece. There's what? Five main characters. No, six. If you count Ben Kingsley, there are six main characters. Everyone's going to get maybe... Er, and the main, main character is Natasha Hendricks' uh, alien. Um, she gets the most time. Everyone else gets a limited amount of time for an action movie. They're gonna, all going to be tropes. Everyone's only going to get a few good scenes. Um, and Ben Kingsley, I think for that to be his big scene, it worked well. You got a lot I just out don't, of it. I just don't buy the... He's, I mean, he's literally just going to murder them. He's going to burn them alive. Ripley was not going to burn anybody alive. She was just, keep him outside the ship until we figure this out. Like, Rip... He raised a seven-year... Or he raised a girl for six months and... Was gonna, gonna kill her. No, yeah, he I'm was not... gonna gas her because the government, because his bosses said, "Eh, we uh, we changed our mind on this project. We're gonna end the project." I would, yes, I would have been better I'm... off if he if he let her go rather than. I think it would have worked better if he actually let her go rather than let her. Than I, she I it, for me, it's it's just all a matter of, of writing on it though, because if you want if you want Ben Kingsley to be a character who's willing to burn these people alive, that's on our team. Even if he's in the right, he's a villain at that point. And the movie doesn't the movie doesn't say we're we're going through with this. Like the movie doesn't have Ben Kingsley pull out a gun and turn on the rest of the team. The team's just like, oh, okay, you tried to burn him alive, but oh, all's forgiven. So like I don't I feel it's like insincere of the script and they want this action beat. Whereas I don't feel that with Ripley, because Ripley is not putting anyone in danger. She's trying to protect everyone. She Ripley doesn't say go out there and shoot John Hurt in the face, you know. So, well, he, he. I think that the, him in this moment though is still narratively uh, consistent with him at the beginning, being told like he obvious. It shows that he cares in some very basic way for the small child with the one tear and the I'm sorry, but he's still instantly. It shows that he cares and he feels bad about what he's doing, but he still got told by his bosses, this is what we've decided, and so you're going to kill a child. And he was willing to do that. Like I think that I think this scene underscored that he is not I'm a fine good guy. with that. I don't mind making him a bad guy, but like as far as the way the script's presented why would any like the other four or five people or whatever that they bring on to this crew, they're not a part of the government program. They're all outside contractors. The moment they learn that Ben Kingsley was about ready to murder two of them by fire. Why aren't they out the door? Why aren't they like, we are never, or at least punching. Him yeah. In it's the like, they're just course. like all like, well, I guess you got to do what you got to do doc. And you know, so it's just, again, it's, it's the script to me, and this is why I never liked the movie. The script is just kind of stupid. It's like in the character interactions, the monster stuff can work. Well, I think the only person, the only person who should have been okay with that was, should have been Madsen. Madsen, sh- his character should have been the only one okay with like, yeah, you know what he? I could he see that. Been the only yeah. one of any of them, because that would that's he's a he's an assassin. He literally is the is the arm of the like he's hired to kill people, and so this is just part of doing business. So I think he would have been the only one who had been okay. But, I mean, let's talk about the lazy writing and characters uh, and focus. Can I pull to a different character? Like, 
why wasn't Forrest Whitaker a behavioral <laughs> or developmental psychologist rather than this empath yeah. bullshit? I mean, that was just weird. Like, he could have done all these things as a behavioral psychologist. That's another aspect. Uh, the the lady who was the doctor, what was her focus? Well, she I, I missed why well, I missed it. What? No, I mean, I was making that joke that should we be calling her doctor? Oh, She's not oh. a medical doctor. Nate, Nate's getting political. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, 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 mi- Sorry, I missed a, her focus, and then Alfred Molina had some kind of biology background or something, and then yeah. Michael Madsen was the assassin on the team. And, um, but, but yeah, so, uh, Forrest, they were scientists because they were scientists focusing on their fields of science. They went there to yes. do science. It was it, it's very it's scientific. All science. But yeah. So, so Nate is correct. We haven't talked about this, but Forrest Whitaker comes on and he is an empath. And if you're unfamiliar with that term, an empath is sort of like a psychic, who, I mean, this is something that some people claim to be. I don't know if they all claim to have kind of mutant abilities. There are mutant characters in Marvel that are empaths and stuff. But uh, there are people who feel they have, you know, deeper connections to emotions and other people's emotions. The movie presents him as having essentially a superpower. He is an empath, not just that he can read people well or anything like that. He, like, legitimately has flashes. He can, like intuitively figure stuff out about people. Forrest Whitaker doesn't do a bad job in playing that character, but watching it, it's so bizarre to me because you already have this movie where you're getting people to buy into alien space creature coming down. You know, we're, we're sending signals to to the humans uh, via satellite and we're going to make human, human alien hybrid baby. And it's going to grow up to this, you know, sex monster. Okay, we're firmly in sci-fi territory. I got it. Empath is like a whole other kind of thing that you're, I wouldn't say you're going into fantasy, but you're you're going into a different area. And I the note I had was it's like a hat on a hat. And it's just like, you're just, you're adding this other element that you don't need and that is confusing. And when I used to teach uh, in college and we would talk about uh, genre with students, I would talk about how if you mashed genres together poorly, you will often end up with like a weird and confusing thing. So I gave the example of like Cowboys versus Aliens was not a great movie, but at the very beginning, it it sets up what it's going to be. You know, in the first five, the title helps, but you know, in the first five minutes, like we're in the old West and aliens show up and now we're going to have this mash of genres right away. And so you know what's happening from the get go. But the example I always gave was if you have Back to the Future and it's firmly rooted in science fiction and Doc and Marty are like jumping around and doing shit. And then all of a sudden they're in some timeline and Doc looks up and goes, whole lot of dragons out today, huh, Marty? It's like, oh, it sure are, Doc. And it's just like, what the fuck? Dragons? That's not science fiction. Like it would just be this weird thing to throw in and it would kind of fuck up. what you're building otherwise. And so that's what Forrest Whitaker's empath felt like to me. It's like, why is this other thing you're wanting me to buy into existing when you already have a movie about alien sex monster? I would agree. I mean, it it, it just, they could have, they could have had all those elements of that character more or less just giving him like a, a 
a different sort of background. <clears throat> I mean, somebody who understands, like, because he was basically like, oh, this is what she would do in this situation. This is, it, it just seemed like la- that was the laziest of the lazy writing for me, is instead of coming up with ways you could figure that out as a character, you're like, give him a superpower. That's how he knows. Well, that was probably just for an economy of time type thing. You give him the Deanna Troy powers uh, from Next Generation, and he can instantly uh, come up with... uh, He can... And don't get me wrong. That scene where everyone introduces uh, themselves and he reads people, yeah, that was lazy. Uh, Also... He gets called out, I forget what it's called, when the writer includes a line calling their own writing out for being not great. But when, he, when he's like, I feel things. And Michael Madsen's character looks at him and he's like, yeah, all of us do. But, uh, yeah, that's right. get, giving him like uh, the Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation powers, it made it so that uh, we had a character who wasn't a scientist and wasn't a badass. He... He wasn't a scientist, he wasn't a badass, it just gave us a different archetype to have. It felt, the team felt like a, uh, uh, a role-playing game party. Sure. You have Scientist A, Scientist B. Uh, fighter. Fighter, yeah, your fighter, your uh, empath uh, in this case, and your, your bureaucrat. Claire, sure. I... <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't play those geeky games. I'm lying. You are way. lying. <laughs> I, in fact, know you. He doesn't have to game. play them. He lives them. <laughs> hey, I mean, I have a D and D game with my children, so it's cool. Nice. <laughs> Nate demolishes them. That's some good parenting. You gotta kill them. You gotta kill them in the like in the first session, so they know the stakes. <laughs> If you need the uh, if you need PDFs of the uh, cyberpunk books, <laughs> yeah, cyberpunk not so great for six, ten, and twelve year olds, my friend. <laughs> so no, no, the, the the old books. <laughs> so uh, I have a couple other things uh, I want to touch on, just like you know, interesting notes before we wrap up. But any other aspects you want to throw out there before I do? The club scene was amazingly hilarious. It was so of the time. I just as soon as as soon as she walked into the club, the um, actually there was a lot of weird '90s things. The beginning, um, everything about it shrieked the '90s. It was in the beginning the lens flares and the uh, tilted a- the extreme tilted angles, uh, Dutch angles. Is that what that's called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of that. Uh, it, Worked well for it, but was kind of overused in the way that movies at that time did it. It's um, funny. It's funny you mention it because as I was watching it, a couple points it reminded me of the Captain Marvel movie, which was set in the nineties. Because like when she's wandering around L.A., there were just some moments where it was like, yeah, the Captain Marvel movie was really kind of capturing this nineties vibe here yeah. that this movie is throwing down. Yes, I hadn't thought of that. The uh, the club scene though the bongos guy, just the entire montage and the way they set it up uh, felt of the time and uh, also I, I I just wanted to shout that guy out because for some reason 
there, there's DJ playing music, and then it cuts to Bongo Guy. <laughs> then back over to people drinking and having fun. Bongo Guy for no damn reason. Well, maybe you're just and it was LA great. <laughs> you're not just LA enough. Your West Virginia roots don't understand the LA, <laughs> LA, uh, the LA '90s scene. Here, we'll send this movie over to Steins and see what he says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now we're getting inside baseball, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Nate, uh, you got anything else to add before we... Uh, just, like I said, this was a staple of my teen years for various reasons. And it was a... <laughs> what, what are those reasons, Nate? I think we can leave it Explain. easily at that statement. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't understand, Nate. Explain. <laughs> well, I think this movie was one of those movies that I... I you know, when a man loves a VHS tape very much. <laughs> I mean, th- this, like, Terminator, uh, Total Recall, Screamers, these were all, like, peak sci-fi weird 90s movies. And it's, that, that I loved those type of movies. So I'm, I'm good with this movie. It's yeah. not good. It's not a good movie. It is fun. Uh, and, and honestly... And this is gonna make this is gonna go from me talking about as a teen to as I was folding laundry and watching this movie in the TV edit. What a weird way to watch the to have that in my mind of how I watched this as a teen and how I watched this as an adult folding laundry with the TV edit. It's just so weird. What what was the tie between the laundry as a teen and and oh let's no no David no. My wife does try to pick up and listen to this podcast. I don't want to have these conversations that my wife's now going to talk to me about later. Hi, Rebecca. Um, okay, so the uh, the other couple notes that I had was, um, so I said that other than Natasha Hentrich being crazy hot, the best thing about this movie is probably the music because it was done by the great Christopher Young. And if you don't know Christopher Young, he has done tons and tons of scores, probably the last like 40 years or so. Um, He could be in his like fifth decade now of doing scores. If you look through, he's done uh, scores for a lot of different movies, but his most prominent scores are in the horror genre. And his his biggest and most famous and probably best are the scores for the first two Hellraiser movies. And then he also did a number, I mean, he did a ton of other horror scores that I haven't noted here, but some other ones that I enjoy, he did the score for the Fly 2. Fly 2 is not very good, but the score is. He did the Dark Half, he did the Grudge, he did Drag Me to Hell, and then many others, like I said, in horror and um, outside of horror. So, Species as a horror score is pretty fun. Yeah. My only regret, or like, they missed out on having an alien sex fiend song, because uh, uh, that's a band, and just thematically that would have worked so well during any part of this movie. Well, when David does his soft reboot, we'll finally get that. Um, by the way, there is a remake of t- in two thousand seven of this movie. Well, it's not a remake; it's a, the fourth one, but I think it's not really uh, related. I, I don't, she doesn't come back. It might, you know, maybe one of those sequels that doesn't really address the previous ones, but it's not like a remake from what I understand. They had just called itself Species. So I, I assumed it was a reboot, so I apologize. Oh, no, I, I, I think it was like Species the Awakening or something, but maybe uh, maybe they renamed it at some point. I mean, do they really need an awakening? I mean, this was a sexual awakening for this species anyways. Yes. 
So uh, the other the other thing I, that is very interesting that I wanted to note, and this is directly from the Wikipedia. Uh, I read th- I've read this before, but it's just uh, I, I said at the top of the episode that there's not a whole lot, in my opinion, of note about this. It's not the the you know normal kind of unusual thing that we tend to pick for one reason or another. But if I'm going to throw this in at the last minute, it is kind of notable in this weird aspect. So. Uh, a five-year investigation into accounts of the chupacabra, of the chupacabra, the well-known cryptid, revealed that the original sighting report of the creature in Puerto Rico by Madeline Tolentino may have been inspired by the character Sill. So, um, a paranormal investigator uh, and skeptic, his name is Benjamin Radford. He wrote a book called "Tracking the Chupacabra," and he interviewed the lady who was like one of the original people who described the Chupacabra. And if anyone, you know, grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries or any of those like weird shows of the 90s where they would document the Chupacabra, and Chupacabra was like, it was in the mid-90s when that blew up. And I think eventually the X-Files did an episode or something. But it was like, it was a very recent cryptid is what they're called when they're these like, you know, fantasy monsters. Um, So like Bigfoot goes back decades to centuries and Loch Ness Monster and all that kind of stuff. But the Chupacabra was very recent. And so they were doing some of those like kind of in search of type shows um, in the 90s. Well, anyway, so um, according to this information, the creature sill, and this is true, I remember this, the creature sill is nearly identical to Tolentino's Chupacabra eyewitness account. uh, And she had seen the movie before her report. Quote, it was a creature that looked like the chupacabra with spines on its back and all. The resemblance to the chupacabra was really impressive, Tolentino reported. Uh, Radford revealed that Tolentino believed that the creature, creatures and events she saw in species were happening in reality in Puerto Rico at the time. And therefore concludes that the most important chupacabra description cannot be trusted. This Radford believes seriously undermines the credibility of the chupacabra as a result, uh, as, as a real animal. So, in essence, some lady watched the movie Species, if this is correct, watched the movie Species, thought it was legit. Because if you do see uh, depictions of Syl, uh, like in full, she's got like the head stuff that goes back. She's got the like bug eyes and stuff. And she's reptilian looking. And early stuff of the chupacabra they they always kind of made it look like sort of like a gray alien but almost like a gray aliens lizard dog it had all these like extra things to it and so it's really kind of interesting if species is what spawned the chupacabra david i mean I and it see- makes sense with the uh twist ending at the end of uh species where right. you have a uh where you have a rat alien thing yes i mean you all you need is an Attenborough voiceover, and this could be easily mistaken as a documentary. Yes. yes. And it was so, filmed in I mean, real time, as we know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. so, yes. So, the film Species may have created the Chupacabra, which is... That's uh, amazing, yeah. actually. And it uh, gives me another appreciation for the movie. Like you heard it here first. Unless you've read the Wikipedia article on the Chupacabra, then you heard it there <laughs> first. Uh, but yeah, I, I came across that at some point in the past, and I thought it was kind of neat. And when I was digging back into this movie, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so yeah, so that is a little bit of trivia on Species. But uh, we will wrap up here with Would You Recommend Species? 
I would recommend it on a, uh, I would recommend it on a having friends over to watch uh, just fun movies night. I would not recommend it on a, you know, is this a great movie that you should watch? Like, if you're going to ask me what movie should I watch, I'm going to be like, eh, any, something else. But if you're going to go, hey, do you want to just have some pizza, drink some uh, seltzers, and uh, watch a movie and have fun? I, if I saw Species on a Netflix queue, I would go, hey, this one's fun. I, you know, I would agree with that. I, I, I mean, again, I, I've well established throughout this whole entire thing that I enjoy this movie. Um, and whatever levels you want to take on that one. But uh, I, I think I really find it to be a fun movie. Yeah, regardless of the stupidity of it. But I think that, I mean, this would be in my collection of bad movies. So I, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to do the rare thing of where I am unrecommending this movie. Um, <laughs> and, and I was, I, I mean, I agree with these guys in like what they're saying. Like, yeah, it, it's something that you can sit down and have some fun with. And it's not, it's not taking itself too seriously, but I also don't think it's leaning hard enough into being silly and it's also not bad enough. So the reason I say unrecommend is I have owned this movie on DVD for years and I haven't watched it for years. Um, and I've been slowly going through all my old DVDs and getting Blu-ray versions. And so I'm, I'm getting down to the end and this was one of the last ones to get. And I watched this and I was like, you know, I don't need this on Blu-ray and actually I can sell this because I just don't like see myself being like, I need to go revisit species. Like if I ever wanted to, I could just find a copy, but it's not really something I like need Cause I thought it was worse than it is. I thought it was like hilariously bad. And then when I rewatched, I was like, oh, no, it's just kind of normal bad. So I'm with them in. Yeah, you could sit down and like it's going to be a good October watch if you've never seen it. But I unrecommend it in the sense that it is not as funny bad as I once did. And so it will no longer be in my collection. That's where I fall on it. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, most of my bad movies that I like is usually a once in a while. watch. It's not a oh, I'm going to watch this movie because I laugh at it. It's. It's like, okay, yeah, this is a fun movie, but I don't think I need to watch it again. But I'm happy I own it. You know yeah. I mean? As for Can I Find This, it looks like Species is on just about every streaming service imaginable. We've got Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Google Play, YouTube, Fandango Now, I guess that's a thing, Voodoo, Microsoft, Redbox, and tons of others, I'm sure. And then, as I mentioned before, it is also on DVD and Blu-ray, so if you are looking to track down species, it should be fairly easy. So, uh, that is species. We will wrap up there. Um, As I said at the top of all this, if you can, like and subscribe on Facebook and Twitter. Try to build up a community there if we can. If you So, Facebook, obviously, Uncanny Cinema on Facebook. And then Twitter, at Cinema Uncanny, or just search for the name, and you should find us. If you have recommendations, feel free to send them out through a Facebook message or a Twitter message, and I'll take a look and see, you know, what the movie's all about. And if, uh, you know, if I think it fits with what we want to do, I will put it on the docket down the line, because part of what I like about doing this podcast is discovering some stuff I would have never heard about. One of our earlier films was the movie The Fall, which was pretty fantastic. I had never heard of it at all. 
a friend was recommended that film by one of her friends. And so if you've been following the podcast, you know, we went into that one totally cold and we all really liked it. So yeah. So if you have any recommendations, I am all ears. And then as for our next one, we will be back with, uh, everyone's going to be a return, some returning people, but it's going to be like a new grouping. And we will be looking at the very recent film book smart, And that's what we'll be doing. So see you then.